Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Welcome back to Renewables, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this week. We are super excited about this week's episode. I'm your host, David Smart, the Senior Vice President of Sales at Biostar Renewables. And with us today, we have Alan Bilo, our Super 6 fertilizer expert, here to discuss the results of our 2020 Super 6 organic fertilizer field trials. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This is not your first time on. You were on last season, and we're really excited to have you back. Thank you. I think this is a, a great, great way to present this information to everybody. Great. Well, this is really going to be Alan's show today. Uh, he's prepared a presentation that we're excited to share with our viewers and listeners. Um, some great results in 2020 from our Super 6 fertilizer product. And stay tuned next week. We're going to release an episode with a little bit more dialogue between Alan and I. I'll be asking some questions about this presentation, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper uh, into the nitty gritty. So with that, without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Alan Philo. Alan, thank you so much and look forward to the presentation. Thank you. So as David said, this is um, a presentation on our 2020 Super 6 trials report uh, and the Photograph that you see here on the first page is a photograph that was taken of a corn trial that we did together with QLF Agronomy in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, and this was kind of later in the season when uh, Tim Chitwood from QLF and I were out there checking on the trial. So today we're going to uh, take a little bit of time to go through some agronomic terms for those of you who may not be quite as familiar um, with agriculture and agricultural jargon um, as others. We're going to review the nitrogen cycle so you can understand a little bit about what makes Super 6 different from a lot of the other organic fertilizers that are on the market today and why we're seeing some of the results that we're seeing. And then we're going to dive into the 2020 report. Uh, we'll kind of outline the scope of what the trials were. We'll take a look at uh, some of the overlying trends that came out of the trials this year and uh, kind of are accumulating from the trial, our 2019 trials as well. And we'll go through some of the specific trials in a little bit more detail, and then we'll look at the conclusions that we've drawn from this year's trials. So uh, first, with agronomic terms, we're going to be looking at a number of different corn trials. So we're going to be talking about um, how we do applications uh, of, of our product uh, during these trials. What, what you see in front of you, that's a John Deere corn planter that's set up to do liquid application as you're planting. That's what the big uh, tanks on the top are for. This is what we refer to as in-furrow application. So what's happening is the seed is getting placed um, in the furrow and a small amount of uh, liquid fertilizer is being dribbled in into that furrow at the same time. Um, another application is a side dress application. So here what you can see is this is later on in the season. The corn has been growing for some time. And what we're doing with this is you can see we have uh, hoses running from saddle tanks on the uh, tractor up front 
the hoses run to those cultures, those knives, where the uh, fertilizer is then being placed into the soil again, but this time off the row, um, sometimes in the middle of the row, or sometimes we call it two by two, um, and being knifed in so that 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 fertilizer is then accessible a little bit later on in the growing season. So that's what we refer, we refer to as side dress. Uh, we're going to look at growth stages too, because I'll refer sometimes to growth stages. So corn goes through these different growth stages. Um, VE that you see there is V um, emergence. So vegetative emergence, meaning that the plant is still in a growing stage, a vegetative stage, as opposed to a reproductive stage. It goes through a series of vegetative stages that are signified by how many, basically how many leaves it has. So you can look at that and see at V2, it has four major leaves, V4, four. Um, VT is when the plant begins to tassel. And then after that, it goes into reproductive stages, uh, R1, and there's some other R stages as well. It doesn't really, um, we won't be looking at R stages, so just remember the V terminology. And when I'm talking about trials, just so we understand how trials are done, when we're doing um, small <clears throat> third-party research trials, uh, what we're doing is we're doing randomized uh, trials. So we have treatments, um, which are different applications being tested. And those treatments are the A, B, and C that you see here. So treatment one is like A, treatment two is B, and then treatment three in this case would be a control where you, you have what it is you're checking the other treatments against. So sometimes that might be just a manure application, or sometimes that might be no fertility at all. Or in some of the, our cases, what we're doing with the control is that we've actually put it up against what is the regular way that uh, people are fertilizing those particular crops right now, and then comparing that to uh, results with um, Super 6 and different product combinations. But then when you do uh, a study like this, <clears throat> a treatment or non-treatment, uh, so again, the control is a treatment or non-treatment used to set a base for the trial, but then you have to have randomized replicates to get statistical power. So you see we have block one, block two, block three. The arrangements of the treatments in those are randomized. So you might get ABC, ABC, ABC three times. You might get ABC, BCA, ACB like you see here. But basically what you're doing is you're rearranging those things in a field so that you are um, able to <clears throat> statistically smooth over what is the heterogeneity of the soils in a field. Um, then when we do farmer trials, we don't have a whole lot of farmer trials this year, but I wanted to bring this up again. So this was, uh, these were actual results from a field trial we did with Chad Coleman um, in uh, Gothenburg, Nebraska last year. And when he ran these, what you do is you leave a check strip. So this is how a farmer leaves a control in the field. So that, that check strip is what you see as treatment one there, uh, where he didn't put any treatment down. And then uh, we have a, a treatment applications two through eight and 11 through 17 received the same application. And then nine and 10 had a different application. And so you can't do randomized replicates in the same way, but thankfully with the amount of precision technology and the computer systems that are keeping track of planting and application patterns in the field, uh, we can actually get really, really good data out of these kinds of trials. Again, we didn't do a whole lot of these this year, but uh, that's just a little review. 
Now to take a look at the nitrogen cycle um, <clears throat> and how it differs uh, in organic systems from uh, regular systems. So if you, if you look at this graphic, what it really all starts with is always uh, nitrogen in the atmosphere, which is at the top of that graphic. It says N in atmosphere, N2. And that nitrogen has to be fixed um, into a different form, which is either uh, almost always NH3 or NH4, ammonium or ammonia, that is going to be um, used to make different fertilizers. So there's a couple different ways that that nitrogen can make its way into a field. One is through uh, thunderstorms. Electricity in the air actually changes the N2 into NH4 and it gets into the raindrops and it actually rains down um, onto the field, which is what just happened at my house about 10 minutes ago uh, when we had an incredibly heavy thunderstorm that had rain of the sideways variety in it. Um, so, but also that had a lot of nitrogen in it, maybe a couple pounds uh, were deposited on a per acre basis. So that'll cause green up. Um, You'll, you'll actually find people that refer to rains as dry rains or wet rains, which is an odd thing, right? Because rain is always wet. But it was the observation that certain rains will cause uh, more greening of pastures and crops than other rains. And those rains are the rains in which we have nitrogen fixation. So that can happen naturally in the atmosphere, or we can do it um, at a fertilizer plant. Um, and uh, produce fertilizers. Or what can also happen is you can kind of go through a couple different stages where you have legumes in the soil that are using bacteria that bring in the N2. They change it into that ammonium form. It gets into the plant. Um, that can be downed as a cover crop, or you can have animals uh, basically like eating that and um, breaking down the proteins in in the plant matter and that becomes ammonia or ammonium on the backside in the form of manure. All of those things are available in conventional systems and organic systems differ in a couple ways. So first of all, we can't, we don't have any synthetic nitrogen sources in organic, in organic systems, which means that the fertilizer production part of this graphic is closed off. Um, second, manure is a little bit harder to manage. Um, because manure is restricted in its most available form. In its raw form, um, there are restrictions on when you can apply that in order to make sure that we are not uh, causing contamination with manure-borne pathogens like Salmonella and E. coli getting on crops that are going to be eaten by people for food. So uh, we don't always have dung and urine available to go into the soils to feed crops. Um, and then mineralization is the other way in which um, proteins and different nitrogen sources that have made their way into the soil can be mineralized, like organic matter can be mineralized, and that releases nitrogen to crops. However, um, this does not start until soil temperatures reach approximately 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And then it doubles uh, approximately for about every 10 degrees that you increase soil temperatures. So in the early spring, what this means is that in the early spring, or in soils that just sort of remain cold uh, because of where they are topographically on the landscape, or maybe because they tend to be wet soils, we can have issues with um, basically these natural organic fertility systems uh, being able to actually release nitrogen on, on a, in a timely manner. So uh, sometimes this mineralization and 
um, takes a long time to get out. So this is also what makes uh, Super 6 fertilizers very different is that what we've done is through a series of filtration steps, we've basically concentrated the ammonium that is occurring in natural manure sources um, or in anaerobic digesters where we're processing maybe uh, pre-consumer food waste. And that is liberating that nitrogen. We are capturing it, making sure it doesn't volatilize and go back into the atmosphere. And then we are taking that and uh, we can apply it in furrow. We can apply it directly to crops, which helps with some of these issues with cold soils or making sure that we're not applying um, forms of fertility like raw manures that could cause pathogenic issues. Um, part of what we're doing with Super 6 as well is we are closing a broken loop in our agricultural system. So you can see here different things that we can put into anaerobic digesters. One of our favorite ways to make Super 6 is by uh, making it out of effluent water that comes out of the backside of an anaerobic digester. So we could put all sorts of things into an anaerobic digester, raw manures, food waste. You can do it with biosolids. That's restricted for organic usage. And you can put ag waste in there as well. And what that does then is as it goes to the anaerobic digester, you're both creating biogas. So we're able to capture methane or, and use that, uh, which is a carbon neutral source of uh, renewable energy that we can use for fuel or electricity or heating, or it can go onto the gas grid. Um, but then at the same time, you still have byproducts coming out of the, the digester, including digestate. Um, part of the digestate that comes out is something called effluent water and ammonium and potassium that would um, leave with the effluent water. We can, what we do is you can either pump it onto local fields or you can collect it, concentrate it, and relocate it. And what happens in a lot of cases and on, on large farm operations is um, there's a broken nutrient cycle because we are concentrating many of these nutrients at the actual dairy or at the actual facility where the animals are. And we're not able to get those nutrients back all the way out to the farm fields where those nutrients originally came from. Through processes like this, we're able to close that nutrient cycle and make it so that we're not having to mine or produce um, more, more new fertilizers that require fossil fuels to make. So we're both uh, basically recycling nutrients here and creating renewable energy. Uh, the organic fertilizer that we make from this is 95% ammoniacal nitrogen, which differentiates it from a lot of the other products in the market uh, that are basically in the form of proteins or amino acids that have to break down and be made available to the crop's microbiology. Um, but, and this is plant or microbe available regardless of soil temperature. It also contains natural secondary and trace elements and it contains natural humic and fulvic substances in the form of short chain carbon compounds. Uh, this product when it comes out is roughly three times more carbon than it is nitrogen. That was a, going over the nitrogen cycle and some agronomic terms. So now we're gonna look at uh, what the scope of our trials were this year. We had nine different trials. Uh, we had three corn trials, a wheat trial that was a farmer trial. We're not gonna look at that one specifically because of um, it had inconclusive results. We do have some preliminary results from a 2020-21 uh, 
wheat trial that I think we will share and discuss a little bit on our next episode. We have a spinach trial, a broccoli trial, a spring mix trial, a celery trial, and a rice trial. Um, the overall trends from this year. For the second year in a row, what we've seen is generally a percent increase in total production. So what I'm saying there is like, let's say you had a base level in your fields before the application of a product of 150 bushel yield. What we're seeing is typically you're going to get something around a 15 bushel bump, 10% bump, um, as opposed to a strict nitrogen uh, per bushel ratio of increase that we expect when we're looking at things like uh, nitrogen efficiency. So, you know, in, in a typical case, like if I put on, say, point, um, 7.5 pounds of nitrogen, I would, accept, I would expect a 10 bushel increase. Um, but instead, what we're seeing is if I put that on on a field that's yielding 150 bush, bushels, I get a 15 bushel increase. If I put that on something that's been usually yielding 200, I get about a 20 bushel increase. Uh, again, the second year in a row, we've seen that. So we're establishing a pretty good trend. We'll see if that holds into the third year. We had very strong results with spinach, broccoli, and celery. And we have positive returns on investment for farmers on all positive yielding trials. A couple terms to keep in mind as we're going through here. When you see something referred to as 600, that is super six alone um, without being mixed with other products. A lot of these trials uh, contain product mixes because um, it's important to remember that in organics, you're never, none of these products is, is ever really acting alone. Um, these products are always acting as components of a system that is uh, cooperating together with biology in the soil. So if you see 600, that's super six alone. If you see 500, what that almost always is, is it's five sixth super six and one sixth terafed which is an organic uh, molasses product made by quality liquid feeds. 300 is half, half super six and half terra fed. And if you see a 200 or a 202, that is one third super six, one third terra fed, and one third CX1, which is a biological inoculant. Um, okay, we'll cut here because I seem to have duplicated that page. Okay. Um, again, looking at overall trends, uh, to go back to what I was saying earlier about that uh, percent increase, you can see here over these three trials, if you average out um, what you're seeing um, in the increase in production, the blue line here is your bushels over check. So two of these uh, trials produced about 12 bushels over check. And this, but this was the percent increase over check in that trial. So this was about five and a half percent. This was 10 and a half percent. This one had much better results and was almost at 16% increase over check. Again, if you look at those as an average, you're getting about 10% increase. <clears throat> What's interesting about this too, <coughs> What's interesting about this too is that <clears throat> This one here at the end had the lowest total amount of nitrogen applied um, to it over the course of the trial. 
Also, we're seeing very good returns on investment. Uh, both the, our lowest ones were just below two. And uh, this corn trial here had a um, ROI of 6X, which is quite good. Very similar, um, good ROIs on the vegetable trials, <clears throat> about two and a quarter uh, X on our broccoli trial, and just under two on the celery trial and our spinach trial was quite amazing and gave us a 16X uh, return on investment. Well, it's always important when you're looking at this though, you have to understand that when we're talking about these different crops, um, what you're making on a per acre basis is, is very different in vegetable crops versus corn crops. So for instance, that 16X multiple <clears throat> on the spinach trial gave a per acre gross income change of over $8,000, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, whereas you can see here on the broccoli trial that only had an ROA multiple of two and a quarter, that was a per acre gross income change of $683. And the Whitewater uh, Wisconsin trial um, gave a 6X uh, ROA multiple. So that would look like it's better than this broccoli trial. But because of the value of corn versus broccoli, it actually gave us less of a per acre income change. Um, and then celery came in here, um, you know, kind of at the, at the bottom here. But we're going to look more at that celery trial coming up. And there's some things I think we're going to be doing going into this next year's trial and that are really going to change some of those results, even in a greater positive direction. And also those roles, results are much better than they look at when you're just looking at that ROI multiple and the per acre income change. So these trials for corn trials, we were doing in-furrow starter trials, uh, looking at different formulations and different rates. Also looking at start, some side dress applications with different rates. For rice, we did a proof of concept trial and the vegetables were also proof of concept trials. So we're happy to share this information with you, but please know that what you're gonna see going forward is um, kind of a retooling of some of those different trials. And um, we'll wanna pay careful attention to what those results are going forward as uh, even though many of these results are already very good, we expect uh, better results coming up. <clears throat> so again, um, taking a look at uh, the corn trials overall, um, those, the graph on the left is our ROI trial again. And then this is uh, the cost of the, of the application um, and the value of increase that we saw in those trials. So that's a graphic just explaining kind of where those ROIs came from. So you can see that we got much better uh, results with that third trial than we did with the other um, the other two, there were some diff a little bit of different products used as well in that third trial as opposed to the uh, first two trials. Um, so we're going to take a better look here first at the uh, QLF agronomy trial in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, it had 28 different treatments. It was a very big trial. Uh, there were another a, a number of other companies that we participated in this trial with. It was again, it was run by QLF agronomy. Um, it also had <clears throat> products in it from uh, Purple Cow Compost, Agri Research International, um, and a number of other companies. Please forgive me if I didn't mention uh, you by name, but um, it was a, it was quite extensive trial. It was really fun. We had a we had a field day uh, for the companies involved with this trial last year. That was a, that was a really interesting day. A lot of good discussion. The twenty eight different treatments. Um, it was done 
I just want to highlight this by Agritech Consulting, uh, which is Dr. Tim Maloney in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Uh, he is excellent. If you're looking for somebody to run trials, I would highly encourage you to get in contact with him. He runs excellent trials. Nine treatments out of the 28 included Super 6 in them. The top yielding treatment was a combination of Super 6, Terafed, and CX1. So again, the Terafed is molasses product, and CX1 is a uh, microbial inoculant. Three of the treatments included super, including Super 6 were in the top eight yielding trials. So that's really nice results. Uh, here's a graph looking at only about the top 11 treatments and then making sure that we included all the treatments that had Super 6 in them. The treatments in orange are treatments that included Super 6. And uh, treatment one there is the control. So the control yielded about 227 bushels, um, which is a highly respectable um, <clears throat> yield on, on organic corn in general. Um, the top trial yielded 269 bushels, which beat the county average by about 90 bushels and um, was what equaled the best conventional corn that uh, Tim had on that research farm that year, um, even with all the other treatments he was trialing. So I think what we showed here, just in general, if you look at what those top, you know, 10 or 11 treatments are, three of which include Super 6, you know, um, none of them um, were under 260 bushels, uh, which, is, which is really quite impressive, showing that, um, you know, with these pretty small applications of some of these various product combinations, we can get corn uh, basically to be yielding about the same as conventional corn. Um, often above conventional corn um, is what Tim had said was happening on the research farm. <clears throat> One of the most interesting things about these trials is to look at something called marginal nitrogen use efficiency. We're going to get more into this at the end of the, uh, more towards the end of the presentation. But um, I wanted to share this with you. All of these uh, trials here on these graphs are trials that, that included Super 6 and M. Um, only one of these numbers makes sense. Again, we'll talk about that more, but if you think about uh, whether or not you can recover more than 100% of something, which is what we're measuring with marginal nitrogen use efficiency, you will quickly see that on the left, we only have one treatment that was under 100% of total recovery of the nitrogen applied, and somehow the other ones are above 100%. Um, on the left, the highest one is approaching 180% recovery. If you look on the right-hand graph, what you'll actually see is that that scale is different and that the highest treatment, um, again, which was the highest, highest producing yielding treatment um, in this trial, is over 1,000% nitrogen recovery. Um, basically, what that is saying is that um, we're, we are releasing nitrogen that is present in the system and making available to the crop beyond what we're simply applying in the, in the product application. So what we're doing is we're working with biology in the field. Again, we're going to go over more of this later and explain how this is working. Um, to take a look at the trials that we did with the Andersons, we did one in Wisconsin and we did one in Tennessee. Um, in terms of where we kind of came out in these trials, you can see in this one, again, the orange is where uh, we have super six. We came in the middle of the pack um, on the test. 
But uh, in doing an analysis, um, a lot of these products contained a lot more than uh, just nitrogen, um, which is which is good. We want to see that in a lot of these trials. But I wanted to get an idea of how nitrogen recovery was being affected. And if we look at bushels of increase per pounds of supplemental of nitrogen applied, um, Super 6 had the highest recovery. And again, I'm just going to point out that um, this recovery rate or um, what we're producing by putting on a pound is, is more than what we would expect. Usually if I put on a pound of nitrogen, I'm going to expect to get somewhere around one bushel to about 1.3 bushels of corn. And as you can see here, we're actually getting about four bushels of corn for every uh, pound of supplemental nitrogen added with our Super 6 treatment. Um, pretty much the exact same results from the Anderson's trial in Tennessee. <clears throat> so Super 6, unfortunately, here was about uh, towards the end, about 30% still. Um, there's not a whole lot of differentiation here between the top of the trial and the bottom of the trial. Um, uh, or even, honestly, with the check, maybe about a 30 bushel difference. Um, but uh, still, we were kind of in the bottom 30% there. However, again, in taking a more careful look at nitrogen recovery, you can see that Super 6, again, um, we're above four bushels per pound of nitrogen applied. And um, we are at better recovery rates than the other uh, products in that trial. Moving on, um, our rice trials this year, this was a proof of concept trial. If you take a look at the bottom of this uh, graph where the treatments are listed, um, you can see that we were doing this at very high application rates. Now, one of the things that's interesting with rice is that rice uh, physiologically is made um, so that it goes through uh, typically a flood stage. And during that flood stage where the, the soils are covered with water, the plant um, can pretty much only take up ammonia. Um, it, it Usually when uh, soils are active, um, aerobically active, more of the nitrogen that's being taken up by the plant is in the nitrate form. And um, <clears throat> what's happening there is that even when we're putting in our ammonium, that could be taken up by the plant, but often it's being utilized by a microbe and changed over to nitrate, and then the plant is taking up that nitrate. Um, however, because of this physiological limitation with rice, what we were trying to do is testing and seeing if we could get really strong results by putting a lot more of the nitrogen on, like right before or during flood stage. However, um, and, and applying most of the nitrogen that way. However, what you see in this trial is um, we got positive results over yield, unfortunately only in one trial, uh, which was when we were applying uh, 300 at 200 gallons per acre. So that would be about 50 pounds of nitrogen. I think a couple of things happened with this trial. I think we cut back the total amount of nitrogen being applied too much. And I think when we do this in the future, we're going to go with smaller rates and applied uh, more strategically um, right at planting, maybe a little bit in the flood water, and then uh, doing some foliar feed passes as well. We were experiment experimenting with foliars, but they didn't seem to give us much of a bump here. Whereas uh, we've seen the opposite in some of the other crops, especially wheat, like sprayed at tillering gives us really good uh, results. So again, this was a proof of concept trial and uh, we're gonna be working with this more going forward. Our vegetable trials um, were done over the 2019 to 2020 growing season. 
um, they were highly affected by COVID. Unfortunately, not in the not in the trials themselves, but in being able to get the data processed and and back. Unfortunately, um, this was done in Southwest Arizona, uh, very close to the California border. That was a real hot spot for COVID activity. There were a lot of labor shortages, and that made things really difficult. Unfortunately, for um, Artie for Ag and Dr. Steve West, who runs these trials. Um, thankfully, they seem to have gotten a lot of that uh, workforce back and things are running um, on schedule again, and we're hoping to do some trials with them again this winter to follow these trials up. Um, so we did spinach down there, which is a short run crop, um, which is really interesting to look at in terms of how fast uh, we can get nitrogen release in the soil to be recovered by this crop. Spring mix, which is another short run crop. Broccoli, which is a longer crop, it's about Often it's about a three-month crop, two, two and a half to three months. Um, and broccoli is a really nice one because it's indicative of other brassica crops. So that's kale, cauliflower, cabbage, uh, kohlrabi. Those are all different coal crops. And um, it's an excellent indicator about how it's going to act in crops like that, and crops in that crop family, which make up a lot um, of what we eat for vegetables. And then we did a celery trial, which I chose to do um, celery is a very interesting plant in agronomic terms. It has an incredibly poor root system, and it is heavily, yields are heavily nitrogen dependent. Um, so typically, celery sees higher nitrogen applications than most other crops uh, do. So the way that we were applying nitrogen to celery and the way it was taking it up and the yield that it produced really shows, you know, um, the efficacy of the product and encourages its use among a lot of other vegetable crops. Um, the way that we set these trials up was almost always the same. So I put a graph up here to kind of walk you through this and help you understand what we were doing. Uh, we did not do a traditional check um, with these, uh, which would have just been a compost or manure application. Instead, what we did is we chose to do this on a grower standard. So we did what most of the growers in the area are doing. So all of these treatments got two tons of, of chicken manure. And then um, the supplemental nitrogen on top of that. And typically what the growers do in Yuma, Arizona is they're applying an extra 100 pounds of nitrogen of, in various forms. Could be fish emulsions, blood meals, feather meals. Um, in this case, the trial was done against uh, soy hydrolysate powder. And um, we applied 100 actual pounds of nitrogen with the soy hydrolysate powder. So one of the things I want to point out to you already is that in the nitrogen applied, we are actually decreasing the total amount of nitrogen applied to the system. Um, supplemental nitrogen um, we are cutting by 50 to 75%. And we are still seeing results that are more po that are positive over and above that grower standard. So you can see here that the grower standard um, was about 8,500 pounds per acre. Now, in our lowest application rate, which was 600 alone at 50 gallons per acre, which would be applying about 25 pounds of nitrogen, um, we lost a little bit on yield there. But um, I think it's really important to recognize 
that we were within 100 pounds of the yield of the grower's standard, and we cut the supplemental nitrogen by 75%. Uh, that is a very interesting result. Now, um, the ROI didn't come in good on that because the uh, Super 6 is a little bit more expensive than what the grower standard was, but still those nitrogen results are really interesting. And then when we move on to uh, applying a higher rate of 600 on its own, we saw very, very good increases um, over the grower standard. Uh, that's almost a, you know, a yield change of 2,800 pounds per acre which is a change in income of about $8,000 or a 13X ROI. Um, but to me, even more interesting is when we did the uh, 300, which is again, the combination of Super 6 with TerraFed. Um, so we've cut the supplemental nitrogen by 75%. We have still had um, a almost a 2,500 pound change in yield and a 16x ROI, um, and really excellent nitrogen recovery. So this is also the form of pretty much the, the spinach trial, the spring mix trial, the broccoli trial, and the um, celery trial. So again, just to summarize that here in bar graph form, the grower standard, please remember that is still applying 100 pounds of supplemental nitrogen. Um, and the way that these work out is the 600 at 50 gallons is 25 pounds of nitrogen. The 600 at 100 gallons is 50 pounds of nitrogen. And the 300 at 100 gallons is 25 pounds of nitrogen. So again, two of those yielded higher than the grower standard with 50 to 75% cuts in supplemental nitrogen. The return on investment, um, again, was really excellent. Um, uh, not, not for the first one, we, we maybe shorted it on nitrogen on that one, but 13X and 16X, um, actually 13 and a half and 16 and a half, respectively, uh, gross changes is an income of $8,000 and $7,000 respectively. Um, spring mix trials, however, were a little bit different. Um, spring mix, um, we ran the same protocol that we did on spinach. However, I believe it's a, it's a little bit of a shorter run crop and for whatever reason, maybe the timing wasn't correct. Um, what we were doing with these applications is dripping them through the drip system on basically like a weekly basis. And it uh, could have been that that just wasn't enough nitrogen early on um, in the system, but unfortunately we were not able to match the grower standard. Um, we're gonna be retooling this trial, but I always wanna share results good and bad with everybody. Um, because that kind of that lets you know what our thought process is. And, you know, we just always want to be open about what we're doing. Um, the return on investments were not good here. And consequently, because this is a high value crop, the changes in income were not good. Again, we are going to retool this. And, and uh, I expect to see these graphs reverse themselves on next year, on the, the next go around of this trial. Um, back to positive yielding trials, uh, broccoli did very good here. Again, we had two uh, treatments that yielded above what the grower standard was. Um, the grower standard here was actually even more than what the spinach was um, because these trials go on for longer and we're dripping in a certain amount per week. We got up to 140 pounds of total nitrogen applied <clears throat> and 
What's interesting about that then is the decrease in the amount of nitrogen is even higher. Um, like the, the biggest cuts here are more than 75% um, with the 300 at 60 gallons. And we are still seeing really, really excellent um, results. You can see that, and we measure this yield in 20 pound containers. Um, we're about 30 containers higher in our highest yielding trial, about four, four containers higher with 600 on its own and 120 gallons per acre. And again, probably shorted on nitrogen, but still within 10 containers at 600 at 60 gallons. Um, and that would have provided, 60 gallons would have provided about 30 pounds of nitrogen. So again, we've cut that rate by more than 75% and we're still within 10 containers. Change um, ROIs here on the right. Um, so not a big ROI on the 600 at 60 gallons. Um, and the uh, 300 gave about a two and a quarter ROI, $683 change in income. Moving on to celery, uh, we measure this in bushels per acre again. Very similar to the broccoli. Um, the difference here is that uh, our, our results weren't as quite as dramatic and um, only that 300 at 60 gallons yielded higher. Um, I think we probably could have pushed this a little bit more. Um, again, 300 at 60 gallons um, is, a, is a pretty small amount of nitrogen. Uh, you're only looking at about 15 pounds of total nitrogen applied as opposed to 140 pounds with the grower standard. So I think that what we would probably do is double that 300 up to 120 gallon rate. And I would expect that trial to increase um, a great deal. Um, also know that, that pretty much in all of these trials, uh, we are equaling what is considered a good standard yield uh, for Yuma, Arizona in spinach, broccoli, and celery. Taking a look at changes in income, not as dramatic here, but again, I think we could have pushed this trial a little bit farther. Um, the good positive yielding trial, 550. Um, you know, part of what we're doing here with these proof of concept trials is trying to zero in and make sure that when we tell growers how to use these products, we're giving them good advice. Interesting, again, to kind of do an analysis of how this nitrogen is being processed um, and being taken up in the system. If we look at containers of broccoli produced per supplemental, per pound of supplemental nitrogen, uh, we can see here that the Super 6 is way outperforming the grower standard. Um, you know, the, even, even the ones that did not show an economic return, still what we're seeing kind of academically from a nitrogen uptake standpoint is that we are getting much more effective nitrogen usage. The, the 600 is a total of 70 pounds of N going in. Um, still like outperformed per pound of N the grower standard by double. And um, if you look at the 300, which is only about 35 pounds of N, I may have misquoted that a, minute, a couple minutes ago, but that's the actual number there, which is 35 pounds of N, that is almost five times what we were getting with the grower standard. So those are quite interesting results. And we see the exact same thing repeated. That graph looks ex almost exactly the same um, on the celery. And so that's telling me but the way that we are the way that we are affecting the soil system is very consistent, um, regardless of what the plant is, 
and regardless of the underlying physiology of how that plant is accessing nitrogen, uh, we are making more available nitrogen available in the soil system as a whole. <clears throat> so in interpreting these results, I want to take a look at um, something called mar marginal nitrogen use efficiency, which I've referred to, but we're going to look at what that actually is. Overall nitrogen use efficiency, and what I think is really behind a lot of this, which is something um, in soil science called the priming effect. So marginal nitrogen use efficiency is the efficiency of nitrogen uptake beyond the base application and measured by increasing yield. So I know that it might sound confusing, but we're going to, I'll give you a mathematical example here. Um, it's calculated by comparing the expected yield increase from supplemental nitrogen application versus the actual increase. So for instance, agronomically, um, a lot of times what, um, and this is, this is a very efficient use of nitrogen, by the way, um, at, at high efficiency rates, I should get one bushel of corn for every 0.75 bushels of nitrogen I put on. Meaning that if I put on 1.5 pounds of nitrogen, I should get two bushels and I get two bushels of corn that we would say that that is 100% marginal use efficiency. And if I have 1.5 pounds of nitrogen and I only produce one bushel of corn, that is 50% marginal use efficiency. So to go back to these graphs I showed earlier, we should be again wondering how it is that we have values above 100%, right? This is one of the big indications that what we're doing is releasing nitrogen that is present in the system, maybe in the form of manure application or other tied up forms of nitrogen in the soil, and we're making that available to the crop. <clears throat> That's the only way you can explain recovery rates above 100%, and even going up above a thousand percent. Now, while I, I don't have the ability necessarily to calculate the marginal nitrogen use efficiency in the same way for the, for the um, vegetable crops, if you think about what's going on here, you're getting a very similar effect, right? <clears throat> for every pound I'm putting on, I am obviously getting a lot higher recovery rate than with the grower standard. So um, when I'm, then when I'm talking about overall nitrogen use efficiency, um, that is the efficiency of nitrogen uptake for all applied nitrogen. And again, one bushel of corn per 0.75 pounds of nitrogen would be a highly efficient measure. And it's pretty much the same thing, but instead of doing it as the amount of supplemental nitrogen and calculating the recovery rate of the supplemental nitrogen, what we're doing is we're looking at all of the nitrogen that's been applied and the math is pretty much the same. So to go back to that QLF agronomy whitewater trial, in that trial, what was applied was two tons of chicken litter, which is about a 532 um, analysis and has about 200 pounds of nitrogen in it. Uh, there were soybeans grown in the previous season. That's about another 20 pounds of nitrogen that we would credit from that. Um, that number comes from looking at multiple recent um, uh, publications on calculating soybean credits. Uh, there's a lot of variability in that. That could have been as low as zero and as high as 40. So I took a middle term there. And then 40% uh, or 4% uh, organic matter at like a 1% nitrogen mineralization rate, that would add up to a total of 260 pounds of nitrogen. Now, if I look at that, 
um, in terms of what the efficiency rate is, overall nitrogen efficiency, I would be looking in, at this and saying, okay, um, if I have 260 bushels per acre, uh, or 260 pounds per acre, and I should get, um, you know, a point for every 0.75 pounds, I get one bushel. I would predict a yield of 346 bushels if all of that was able to be taken up. My actual yield on the check was 226 bushels per acre, and we have a nitrogen use efficiency of 65% calculated from that. Again, going through this, again, in terms of what the treatment was using the Super 6, What's interesting is we only added six pounds of nitrogen. So we've actually increased the total amount of nitrogen, not a lot, but by six pounds. But if I look at that same result, 266 pounds would predict a 354 bushel per acre yield. My actual yield was 269. So that's a 75% nitrogen use efficiency rate. Meaning that with even just this small application of, um, of six pounds of nitrogen, Instead of just recovering that nitrogen, I increased the ability of the whole system to recover the nitrogen by about 10%. To look at this in a different way, now I've changed, uh, one of the terms have changed, I've changed this 4% organic matter rate to 2% mineralization. Um, just, to, just as an example and to make math look a little different, um, another way to look at this is that usually with manures, you know, when we calc when we apply a manure, a raw manure, we calc we give it a credit, and this, this has been established by a lot of agronomic studies over the past fifty years. Um, typically, if I put on two tons of chicken litter, I will only credit thirty percent of the total nitrogen that is in that um, chicken litter to be available, which would be about sixty pounds. A little bit more than that, It'd be between 60 and 80, but we're going to say it's 60 for now. Um, that means that really, I probably only have about 160 pounds of nitrogen available for the crop. So this makes sense. By the way, that 160 pounds makes sense, actually, as of the recovery rate on the check. Um, I'm going to pause it here, David. My ex okay, go again. My expected yield um, would be about 213 bushels at about a, at a good recovery rate. Um, and as some of those numbers are probably a little bit squishy. You know that gets us really close to that 226 bushel that we had on the check yield. So that's a pretty accurate predictor of how much nitrogen we have in the system and how much we got for yield at a 0.75 uh, pound nitrogen per one bushel of corn average. So basically another way of looking at what we did was by applying this extra um, little six pounds of nitrogen and basically ramping up the biological system. Instead of getting a 30% credit, I got a 50% credit on that, on that uh, chicken litter. I was able to release more of the nitrogen in the chicken litter and get it more available. That 201 pounds is what I would expect to get um, if I'm going to produce about a 269 bushel corn crop at that 0.75 to 1 ratio. Now to look at this again uh, with a different crop, overall nitrogen use efficiency in broccoli, in the trials, we applied two tons of chicken manure per acre. 
What's interesting is that since then, and doing a little bit more talking to growers um, in the area, we found out that many of the growers are applying double to quadruple that rate. Um, so they're applying four to eight tons of, of manure. That means, uh, and I think this is really interesting when we take into account that our yields for broccoli and celery and spinach were in line or exceeding the norm for organic broccoli and those other crops in Yuma, Arizona. <clears throat> now, if we look at the total amount of nitrogen then applied at six tons, so I took a, I took a number in between the four and the eight, at six tons of 532, I get about 100 pounds of nitrogen per ton. So that's 600 pounds of nitrogen. And then I applied supplemental nitrogen in, in, in various forms of another 100 pounds. That means I have 700 pounds of total nitrogen in the system. Where as opposed to our treatments, we did 200 pounds of nitrogen in the form of chicken litter and another 18 pounds of supplemental and from the Super 6 TerraFed combo. So only 218 pounds of nitrogen. If I look at the pounds of nitrogen per container ratios, you can see here that the difference is dramatic. I'm, I have 700 pounds um, here that is producing 500 containers approximately. That's the average yield out there uh, for a 1.4 pounds of nitrogen per container, as opposed to in our applications, 218 pounds Measured yield was 535 containers. That works out to 0.41 containers per pound. 35% of the total amount of nitrogen needed to produce more crop. That I think is a really dramatic result. Not just on the, um, not just on the value proposition for the farmer, but in terms of what we're actually doing here in agronomic terms in decreasing nitrogen usage and making better use of the inputs we have in organic agriculture. This is all due uh, mainly to something called the priming effect. I believe the priming effect is a biological effect um, <clears throat> that uh, comes from basically speeding up biological activity. I'm gonna show you a graphic in a second to better illustrate that. Uh, the ammonium in super six is a prime source of nitrogen for both microbes and plants. And I think this is where a lot of the results are coming from is that what we're doing is we're feeding microbes with a form of nitrogen that they can actually utilize to build up their populations faster. And then they're turning around and chewing through more of the base nutrient applications. It also requires less energy from the microbes to utilize than protein-based nitrogen for microbes, right? Which would be the soy hydrolysate powders, the nitrogen found in fish emulsion, the nitrogen found in blood meal or feather meal. Those things all require energy to break down to get at that, that nitrogen. So we are allowing the microbes to grow at a faster rate because we're providing them with something they need to, as a constituent part of their bodies uh, to grow in a way where they don't have to expend energy to get at it. Um, in addition to this, if we add sugars and other simple carbons to super six, this creates a combination that stimulates bio biological activity early in the growing season and leads to even greater release of nitrogen applied from manures or other compost or base uh, applications. This increases the nitrogen use efficiency of the system or lowers the total nitrogen needed to be applied. 
So again, here's a graphic of how the priming effect works. So um, on the on the far left, we have a soil without um, an added substrate, or you could look at that as a soil with manure in it. Um, what the base CO2 or mineral nitrogen produced from that would be measured at. When I add in, in the middle bar, what I'm doing is I'm adding in the green portion. I'm adding in um, more nitrogen that increases the total amount of nitrogen coming out of the basic soil, right? Or the soil with manure combo. So this is what's happening. So I'm putting this in and I'm getting more on top of it. It's important to recognize that the priming effect can be negative as well. Um, this really depends on what materials I'm using, but if I have a soil and I put a whole bunch of carbon into the soil, I can actually get a depression of nitrogen and CO2 released from the soil for a period of time. But in this case, what we're doing is the middle bar, we're doing this middle priming effect, increasing the amount of nitrogen coming out of the entire system above and beyond what the application is. In conclusion, you know, again, we got positive results across multiple crop types, again, showing the efficacy of the use of this product um, and how it can be used um, agronomically in organic agriculture. Uh, large increases in marginal and overall nitrogen use efficiency, and then very strong returns to farmers in net per acre, um, and those ROIs at the end of the year. So that is the presentation for now. I look forward to talking to David in a week or two here, going through some questions, being able to share maybe a few preliminary uh, trial results from this year in terms of wheat. Had some very good results out of uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin again. Um, so thank you. Thank you for the time, David. I appreciate it. Alan, thank you. This was fascinating. I have a lot of questions. And like you mentioned, everyone, please tune into next week's episode where we're going to dig into some questions about this presentation uh, and really looking forward to doing that. Alan, thank you. This was fascinating. Congratulations on another year of successful trials. And we'll look forward to our next episode with you as well. Thanks so much. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America.